Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trek in Time, the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. What we're doing is we're taking a look at each episode of Star Trek in chronological order. So we've started all the way back at Enterprise. We're still in relatively early days. We're nearing the end of the first season. And I think both Matt and I are thinking, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're also taking a look at how things were in the world when the episodes originally aired. So we're currently looking at the news and the goings on in the year 2002, when the first season of Enterprise was wrapping up. We also take a deeper dive into the episodes or the era, and we basically follow whatever catches our eyes. And now you're wondering whose eyes are getting caught. My eyes. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I also write picture books. And Matthew's eyes are also involved. Matthew Farrell, he's the guru and inquisitor, inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. He's also my younger brother. Before we get into the episode, quick reminder, there are ways you can directly support the podcast. You can go to trekintime.show. There's a link there that allows you to throw some coins in the cookie jar. But even if all you're able to do is listen, watch, and subscribe, we greatly appreciate that. That's a great way to help support the channel as well. Now, Matt, I understand you've got some listener comments from our most recent episode. Yeah, there's, there's a few comments. Uh, there's a theme of comments, and then there's one I thought was pretty funny. Uh, Mike Purdy made a comment that said, there's a black speck to the right of Sean's ear, which I keep thinking is a black fly on my screen. Now it's a late <laughs> switch, but I fall for it every time. When I try to squish it, it, it jumps the video back 15 seconds. <laughs> you can I'm see, now can going see to turn right around and look. It's the thing on the wall. Oh, uh, yes. That's a doorstop. Yeah. So, Mike, don't try and squish the doorstop anymore. Yeah. The other ones were on the uh, episode uh, Fusion, which uh, our thumbnail had the bad meld uh, title on it. Yes. Uh, all of these kind of had the same theme, which was boring episode. Uh, RoboTrav said, that's not how I remember this episode at all. Right after the opening credits, I fell asleep and I don't remember it at all. <laughs> That's <laughs> and then um uh, sixty nine yeah said I hated Tolaris the moment I saw him, so the actor did a good job there at least. And when we talked in the episode about um it being we were kind of debating whether it was like a sexual assault because it really wasn't sexual assault to us. Mm. Um he brought up he said he thought he saw it as a great metaphor for sexual assault because he loses himself in his arousal and forces himself on her telepathically. Yeah. And he laid out a really good kind of point of view that I thought did make a good case for it as being a very good analogy for sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, giant hogweed lives, thank God, because um, I was worried about him. Mm -hmm. uh, Tolaris bothered me with his lack of sense of personal space on Seinfeld. He would have been called a close talker. Yes. <laughs> yes. But the sentiment of that episode, I thought the comments were really interesting because there was a definite sentiment of everybody was kind of either ho-hum on it or just did not like it at all. Yeah. So that brings us into the newest episode that we're going to be looking at, which is Oasis. Matt, do you want to give us a synopsis? Sure. Uh, the crew is directed to a barren planet where a derelict ship may be sal salvageable for parts. The crew comes to suspect that rumors about the shipwreck being haunted may be true. So this is Oasis. 
It was directed by Jim Charleston, and the story is by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Stephen Beck. And the teleplay is by Stephen Beck. And what I envision that that means is that Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and possibly Stephen Beck threw out a synopsis for Mm -hmm. the episode, and then Stephen was tasked with the job of going out and actually writing the episode. This episode aired on April 3rd, 2002. And it had 5.64 million viewers. So their viewership is holding at about the same level it has for several weeks. It took a dip very early on, right after the first episodes. It slid down and has been coasting at about this level, which does not bode well for it long term. The series at this point was, as far as sci-fi shows on the air at this time, it was ranking fourth amongst other competing sci-fi shows. And what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, the song was still in the end by Linkin Park. And we have a new number one movie, which is actually one that I'm sure Matt and I are both going to heartily recommend that viewers Mm -hmm. check out if they haven't seen it already. It was the movie Panic Room. Panic Room was the 2002 American thriller directed by David Fincher. So there's a name that you probably all recognize. The film stars Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart two names you probably recognize, as a mother and daughter whose new home is invaded by burglars, played by Forrest Whitaker, Jared Leto, and Dwight Yoakam. When you put that many recognizable talent names in a synopsis for a movie, you know, well, as far as acting is concerned, we're in safe territory. Yeah, we are. And the director, safe territory. So, like, this all is a very tightly wound uh, film. The script was written by David Kopp, whose screenplay was inspired by news coverage in 2000 about panic rooms. And essentially, it is just a great pot boiler of everything that could go wrong for the family and for the burglars goes wrong, (laughs) keeping them in a pressure cooker situation, which just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's a great, it's a great movie. And at the time of this recording, we're recording this at the end of September 2021. This movie is available on many streaming platforms where you need a subscription, but it is also available on Pluto TV. Pluto TV being a free uh, app that you can download to a device or even be able to watch through your television through some gaming consoles or a Roku. And It does have ads, but if you don't have another way of being able to access this movie, it's available right now. I heartily recommend. It's a great movie. Great movie. On television this week, when this episode of Enterprise aired, the number one show, a little program called ER. Um, I think it's pronounced ER. Er. And it had 28.5 million viewers, so a little bit higher, just a bit higher than the number yeah, of viewers. Just nudged it out. Just a, just a f- couple of houses more <laughs> than this episode of Enterprise got. And then in the news from the New York Times, two major headlines, Mideast turmoil at the White House. The White House feels its way as a crisis deepens. Confronting the toughest diplomatic challenge of its 15 months in office, the Bush administration is struggling to forge an effective Middle East policy as escalating Israeli-Palestinian violence and the rush of events rapidly shift the ground beneath it. While President Bush endorsed this week the continued relevance of Yasser Arafat, Prime Minister Ariel Sharon of Israel, 
called a day for the exiling of the Palestinian leader from the occupied territories. This, of course, is a situation that was boiling in 2002. It was boiling before 2002, and it has not stopped boiling since 2002, sadly. Mm -hmm. Also a headline in the New York Times that day, a nation challenged the neighbor. In trip to Kabul, Pakistan leader spurns U.S. aid in hunting al-Qaeda. President Pervez Musharraf of Pakistan made a surprise visit to Afghanistan today, trying to mend fences but also rejecting any future American military operations against al-Qaeda or Taliban forces who have fled to Pakistani tribal areas adjoining Afghanistan. He said the job of hunting the fighters inside Pakistan could be accomplished by Pakistani troops alone, despite American commanders' concerns that Pakistan has become a sanctuary for troops seeking to regroup for a new guerrilla war in Afghanistan. And of course, long-term, we know that Al-Qaeda is back. Mm -hmm. The U.S. forces having left Afghanistan and Al-Qaeda did exactly what the U.S. government was worried about happening, which is they fled to areas outside of Afghanistan and then waited. They bided their time. And the other thing we know is that when it came to President Obama giving the thumbs up to go and kill Osama bin Laden, that was done without informing Pakistan that the U.S. would be going into Pakistani airspace to conduct that operation. The tensions between the countries, even those who are being called allies, it's a very, very difficult chess match. It's really 3D chess where there's there's uh, not as much allegiance between the players as yep. they try to present. So on to this episode, Oasis. This story would take place likely sometime in December of 2151. I'm basing that on the dates of the most recently known date and the next future date, there being six episodes between those two, and I just basically said, okay, I bet these two are in November, these two are December, and here we come to January. So at some point in December of 2151, making this a Christmas episode? I don't know. (laughs) Captain Archer, Subcommander Paul, and Commander Tucker, at the beginning of this episode, are dining with Damar, a visiting trader, And he tells them of a haunted transport vessel that has crashed on a nearby planet. And his experience going aboard was he went down looking for salvage. He's, I actually really liked the character of Damar. I thought he did an interesting job with his makeup. I was fascinated by the design of him as an alien. And it's a classic setup to this kind of story. This goes back again to something we've talked about in a number of episodes. Enterprise seemed to have been built around campfire ghost stories yeah. as an idea of getting into the gist of the episode. This is another one of those. The wayward traveler who's stopping by and saying, well, thank you so much for your hospitality. Hmm, have you heard about that ship over there that happens to be haunted? Well, goodbye. And then yeah. leaves. Yeah. Um, real quickly, I'll throw this out there. I was disappointed that the aliens that we see in the episode are practically indistinguishable from humans to a point yes. that for the first 10 minutes of seeing them, I was very confused. Yes. 
But they have that shading shot on their temples. Yeah, they've got shading on their (laughs) temples, which is hard to see depending on the lighting. So the first time you see a group of them, I thought, is nobody going to address the fact that this is an Earth ship? (laughs) And finally, when I did see the speckling, I thought, okay, not enough. Meanwhile, Damar, an alien who is in literally three minutes of the episode. Is incredibly made up. Is incredibly made up, looks spectacularly foreign. And why not use this appearance as a way of... I I guess it's cost. (laughs) Probably cost. Also, the fact that we have a love interest storyline. Maybe they were toying with the idea of like, we can't have Trip fall in love with every alien that he meets. So... (laughs) Could be. But effectively, this is another classic setup of the wandering traveler telling a ghost story that makes then the crew say, well, ho-ho, let's go take a look at that. And Archer sends the ship on its way to go investigate this crashed ship. They do find it. I thought it was it was a nice, uh, you know, eagle-eye view shot of this craft on, on the planet. Um, they don't do a whole lot that you would think they would have done right off the bat. Like what? What are you thinking? I'm thinking the way that their sensors work, the way that they're able to look at the ship. If they had done the things that you would think a ship like this would do, they would have Uh known right off the bat that this ship has been there for longer than three years. True. And you would also think they would detect that there's some kind of energy signature down there, even though they saw no life signs. Right. They've got, you know, the, the ship is set up with apparently a dampening field that keeps sensors from being able to get through um i have i think matthew i'm going to put words in your mouth but i think that they're words that you're going to agree with i have problems with this episode (laughs) i have significant issues with this episode there are certain things put in place to allow the story to be told the way they want to tell it that don't make sense within the context of what the characters are living. One of them being, as you pointed out, there is no sensor reading showing that there's anybody down there. And not to get too like pushing up my glasses here, but if there's a dampening field, you would detect that with the sensor. Cause if you can read everything around that area, but then there's this area that you can't get any kind of readings at all from. Wouldn't you know there's something going on there? Unless in you know the sci-fi-ness of it all, the survivors on this ship were able to create a dampening field that mimicked Simulated. the surrounding area. Yeah. So okay. you know, it, okay, maybe I could I could say like, maybe. okay, like that's all okay. Okay. One of the things that I trip over though is Should we jump ahead and just give major like like jump to the final conclusion? Well, we have to because I think the we way have to, to talk is, about it smartly. The way you said it's set up like a ghost story in the beginning, them being the spooky ooh booga booga stuff as they're there, like thinking they're seeing shadows and ghosts and sounds and oh, are you scared? It's totally ghost story, but then where the show ends up is in a completely different place from where it began, mm-hmm. where it it's those two. The way they told the story doesn't align with what the message of the show was yeah. at all for me. It was 
disjointed. cut to the chase, this is effectively the Tempest. Yes. This is, the, and that is a, a poorly told Tempest. It, <laughs> there's a little spoiler of Matt's thoughts about this. Yes. For people who might not be as versed in Shakespeare, uh, the Tempest is a Shakespeare play written, probably written around 1610. And it is thought to be one of the last plays that Shakespeare wrote alone. And the setup is that at the beginning of the play, there is a ship at sea, there is a storm, which is the tempest, and they, the ship crashes upon an island where there's a sorcerer named Prospero, and he lives there with his daughter Miranda and two servants, Caliban, a savage monster, and Ariel, an airy spirit. And Prospero is effectively terrified of Miranda leaving. And this is now here, this, this story basically where they come to this plant, they find the ship. It appears to be derelict. It starts off with the ghost story idea. Once they go down to the ship. And as Matt said, there's a lot of moving shadows. What is that sound? How are we, what is going on here? Is it in fact haunted? There's a, a thing from Ensign Mayweather who has more to do in this episode. He still doesn't have enough to do. No, he does not. But he has a little bit more to do in this episode than he did in previous episodes. And he is mainly brought back, I think, as the voice of, I'm the guy who grew up in space, so I have a different take. Mm -hmm. And his take is, should we be doing this to this ship? He shows up and is very quick to say, like, this is really kind of like a graveyard and maybe we should just leave this alone out of respect. And he has a different take on it than everybody else who's like, let's get in there and really kind of tear the ship apart because it might have stuff we can use. I have problems with the idea that a the key ship of the Earth fleet would be looking for salvage, that they would be out there saying like, we better find some dilithium crystals, otherwise we're going to be stuck. Like you are the flagship. You are the yes. flagship of the fleet. What are you doing? I have a problem with when it turns out to be that this is a ship that is inhabited by uh, the engineer of this crashed ship, Ezreal, and his daughter who have lived there alone for 22 years. He has put together this dampening field. They make the Why? claim when they first get, when they first meet Starfleet, you say, we've been here for three years. Why the lie? We've yep. been here for three years and we were attacked by raiders and crashed. And Which is also not true. This immediately sets off Reed's alarms of like, they've been hiding for three years from raiders who, why would raiders be hanging out for that long waiting to find this ship? It doesn't add up. Turns out it's 22 years. Turns out that it's Ezreal and his daughter alone Turns out it's holograms that are being used to create the the family of friends and other crew members on this ship. That part of it, I'm like, okay, you know, the, the populating it. But why did he create a dampening field? <laughs> I what was he hiding them from? I, there was nothing I don't, to hide from. That's why I just straight up hate this episode because I was not able to understand in any way, shape, or form why... Uh, Rene Aubergenois' character did what he did. Like they never clearly communicated why was he hiding his daughter there? Why was he so afraid of them leaving this planet? 
there was nothing ever told as they were uh, recluses from their planet because they were outcasts for some reason. Or right. like there was there was never any explanation given as to why you would actually be hiding on a planet like this that you crashed on by accident. Why would you deliberately do this? It made no sense. The lies he told are some of the worst lies you could possibly be telling in the sense that they don't, they're not even believable lies. It's like, so he's a horrible liar. He has yeah. no motivations for doing what he's doing. The whole thing about his daughter, on top of which all of this, his daughter actually knew about this. Yeah. Like, she wasn't in the dark that these weren't real people. She wasn't in the dark that her father created these people for these holograms for her so she could grow up and all this kind of stuff with people around her. I thought that was such an odd choice. It would have been far more interesting if he had done this in a, done this like immediately when she was a small child so she doesn't realize what she's missing out on right. in the outer world. So then in come these outsiders and suddenly her eyes are opened as to like, wow, there's so much more out there and these people are interesting. I want to see more. And then that would have created a tension of her like, I want to see more. But the fact that she actually did know that there was more out there and yes. she was part of this 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 whole sham she was part of the sham it's like none of the character motivations made any sense so yes. the first half of the episode which is set up as a ghost story a whole what is the mystery here these people just seem to appear and then disappear this makes no sense it's like all that kind of mystery box that they set up in the first half is not paid off in any way shape or form because in the second half when we actually find out what's going on it makes zero sense. And they yeah. never do a good job explaining as to why it is the way it is. And without character motivations, that's the whole reason you watch a show. <laughs> you have to emotionally connect to what's happening. There's no emotional connection. And by the time I, we were in the second half of this episode, I had that feeling again of like, can this episode just end already? <laughs> right. <laughs> this, is, this is really bad. Yeah, I found myself in similar territory with last week's episode about yeah. the Ferengi uh, heist where they are it just feels like, okay, there's not enough here that's new for me to chew on to right. keep me engaged. As you mentioned, he's not a good liar. I, my defense of his not being a good liar is that he hasn't had another person other than his daughter to talk to for 22 years. He forgot how to lie. <laughs> Some of the, like, the episode is written more around the idea of what's interesting is the piecing together the clues of mm -hmm. Reed saying there's no impact damage from weapons. There's damage yeah. to the ship, but there's no impact from weapons. The oxidation of the ship is too old for it to have been here for only three years. <clears throat> and the aeroponics bay is not big enough for them to have been feeding a crew that the size of what is on the planet. And like, no, this, this episode is not providing us with a mystery that's meant to be solved. It doesn't yeah. have that because we've already seen all the people. If this was continuing to be a ghost story, it would be one individual on the Enterprise crew meets a person, maybe Liana, yeah. who tells them, I've been here for three years and then disappears and nobody else sees this person. And then the rest of the crew is trying to convince that person. You can't possibly have seen this person because of these things. There's no, there's no, no weapons. People start disappearing. 
a character people... disappears from the the, the the crew disappears and they're actually inside the dampening field learning about what's going on and right. outside the field people keep disappearing because they end up getting kind of pulled into the dampening field and trapped in there because they're being held at gunpoint it's like they could have done so many different things to keep the mystery box going and all that yeah. kind of stuff this had the trappings of a mystery box but it was not interesting and that's that's for me that's the the big uh weak point is i felt like there wasn't enough danger at any point as you as you pointed out and i had the same thought of if members of the enterprise and at the end of this episode there is a hostage taking which felt completely unnecessary um if as you'd mentioned if people were getting trapped in a dampening field if there was a legitimate reason for these people to hide and felt like they had to hide if the if these people were from a planet that was currently at war with somebody. Right. And then they crashed on this planet and they have no idea the war is long over. Or there's, they could even have had a hint of some sort of calamity that is a known Star Trek thing. Like they were fleeing Klingons and the Klingons are still rampant in the area. Whatever it is. If their dampening field is swallowing up Enterprise crew and the Enterprise crew on the inside are trying to convince the one lone person who is real, you got to let us out. Yes. But meanwhile, on the outside, they're scrambling around and dealing with these ghosts. The haunting is actually being experienced by the people outside. Then you've got some, you've got an A storyline and a B storyline, and you've got interesting tension between the two. Yep. But what they deal with here is the immediate reveal of here's a crew. The puzzle of are they real is not introduced to us until it's discovered that they're not. We don't Correct. know that the crew isn't real until somebody says, I don't think this crew is real. And then suddenly <laughs> that's now the reality of the of the episode. And the B storyline is supposed to be once again Trip having this romantic relationship with, her, with yeah. Ezreal's daughter, Liana, who is played by Annie Wershing, who I think does a great job with I think she was poorly directed and I don't think she was given a lot of good material. No. She spends way too much time standing in the background looking looking shocked. Looking shocked by everything <laughs> that's happening <laughs> until she suddenly is able to get off the ship and then yeah. she's and then she engages with the material beautifully in the form of her world is opening up in front of her and she clearly is just overwhelmed by the possibilities of what the world could present to her she's very good in that and i will throw out now matt's already referred to the other major cast member in this episode um casting choices keep coming back in Mm -hmm. some of these episodes i wonder if there was a little bit of stunt casting going on with an enterprise in its first season where they felt like we aren't getting the viewership we need so they start using older star trek known actors who played major roles renee ojo benoit of course played odo in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is not Mm -hmm. a guy that people don't know. Um, And he is an actor whom I love in the role of Odo. I think he's terrific in it. But he can't not be René Yeah. So he says lines and delivers lines in this this very Odo-like way of, it's just his measured acting style. And he's wonderful in it. He's really good in this role. But again, it's just why choose him, such a recognizable person in a in a in a role that's clearly meant to be a Shakespearean archetype, but it just isn't holding this, enough. It doesn't have enough there. There, this ties 
in directly into the deeper dive that I think both of us want to talk about, which is it's it's him who's Odo in this episode. And what's ironic about that is this whole storyline is dipping into a well that Star Trek has already touched on, not just once, but multiple times before. And there's an episode that uses the same exact framework and does it way better. And it's on Deep Space Nine with Renee playing Odo <laughs> in the episode with Dax. The two of them go to a planet. It's an episode called Shadow Play. They go to a planet and they find these people and people are mysteriously disappearing and nobody knows why. And so as they are helping this little village try to figure out what's going on, they venture out. They venture outside the valley that these people live in that they never, for some reason, people never leave the valley. And when they venture outside the valley, uh, Dax has a piece of equipment from the village. And when she walks out of this like field into the wilderness, that thing disappears. And it's discovered that there's basically simulated village and there's like only two people living there. And the computer is losing power and ability to control things. So it's shrinking the size of the village. And because it's shrinking the size of the village to stay powered, it's having to eject (laughs) artificial people to try to keep running. It's a wonderful episode and it has tension and it has all, you understand what the motivations of those two characters are as it's being unveiled. And it's just, there's this wonderful storyline between Odo and this little child in the episode. Everything about it, you, you identify emotionally with the characters, you understand motivations. It has a sense of tension, especially when it's unveiled what's happening. Yeah. It doesn't, it amps up the tension of like, oh my God, these things are going to all disappear if they can't fix this. So it's, it's such a better storytelling of this episode. And then there's another episode on Next Generation, which it's not an exact replica, but I thought of this episode when I was watching this, which is an episode called The Survivors, where the Enterprise comes to a planet and on the planet is an old couple that are just living there. <laughs> and they go down and it turns out that this guy, the, the husband is a like a super powerful being that basically committed genocide, was living in isolation with his wife and this this race ended up killing his wife and he ended up committing genocide of the entire species. And then he kind of brought his wife back to back to life in this simulated world he had created on this planet where he was going to live in exile because he felt guilty for what he had done. Right. And it's like, once again, you have this emotional tie to the characters and as the mystery box unfolds, and they're giving you the answers, it only deepens that emotional connection and that that deep, like, what is happening and how we solve the problems that are going on here. Yeah. So it's it's a very similar kind of storyline. And it's like, once again, done so much better than what's done here. And on this episode, I found it funny that Brandon Braga, who's one of the guys who came up with the story idea for this episode, a producer on the show, he said of this episode, it is a, quote, terrible episode (laughs) the producer of the damn show said it's a terrible episode and my thought when i saw that quote was like this is your fault it's like you you came up with the storyline of this you had somebody else write the script and then you greenlit it you let it go for it's like what is going on here it made me wonder if there were like you're under pressure they're just having to get these episodes out and it was like okay this isn't the best but we got to keep going it's like i wonder if they were just kind (laughs) of It wouldn't surprise me if because it this, this series Bible would have been yeah. written while Voyager was still being produced and yeah. Voyager at that point was wrapping up. It wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, Braga and Berman had sat in a room for a period of weeks and just spitballed as many ideas as possible and then took the top 24, 25 
and made those the quick synopsis for the first season. Because yes. the episodes that we're now watching that we clearly at this point, this feels like a bit of a slog getting through this part of the it season. Is. It and is. this is the tone when I thought back to Enterprise, this is the tone I remembered. A tone of a little bit not knowing what to do, a little bit like Star Trek light, like, oh yeah, they're trying to be a Star Trek show. Some of the strongest episodes that we've had in this season, which were the earliest episodes, and in some cases, episodes that planted ideas that were never really fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. It just feels like they had, if they have 100 ideas and 20 of them are great ideas and 60 of them are mediocre ideas mm-hmm. and then 20 of them are just bad, it feels like they front loaded all the good ideas into the earliest right. episodes. And now we're working with B minus to D plus grade storylines. Story yeah. This one being one of them. The, as Matt mentioned, motivation is key. Ezra at no point clearly describes a motivation as to why are you hiding? Yeah, there's no reason to hide. His motivation is boiled down to at the end of why did you create a fake crew? And I don't understand why anybody would even question that. Well, you're yeah, on this no, planet alone. Sense. You need help. Yeah. You need companionship. You create fake people and you base them on the crew that you knew so well and loved. And so he's done that. That's not the question. Why That's all they talk about. The bigger <laughs> yeah. question is, why were you hiding? Other yeah. ships were coming here. You could have yep. gotten out of here. And his entire goal of I'm protecting my daughter was repeated ad nauseum in a way that didn't match up with the reality. No. You protect your daughter, you, the first ship that came along, help, signal them, hey, we've been yeah. trapped here. Yeah. Get us out of here. Instead, it's all about protecting the secret. It's about maintaining the secret. Even the daughter <laughs> is like, embroiled in keeping the secret. One of like, the... I, uh, Sean, yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be like Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> trying to hide. Yeah, no, don't help me. <laughs> a ship a ship comes very close to that island and he's like, Wilson, it's get off Wilson. the beach. Wilson, get it's off the Wilson. beach. They'll see you. <laughs> yeah. They have a couple of moments in this episode. I think this is another case of there are some moments which stand out as kind of, of unique and mm-hmm. and definitely salvageable. Um, for me, one of the big things is when they detect that there are escape pods been in orbit around yep. the, the planet. Yeah. And this is one of the clues that allows them to say, okay, the, what they're claiming happened didn't actually happen because they pull one of these pods aboard and not only do they find a mummified body inside, which is ex- obviously extremely well-preserved, the, the pod's oxygen would have depleted decades ago. Mm-hmm. And in a lack of oxygen, the preservation of the body would be very good. Very, very good. And it's a basically a mummy. They open up this thing and they recognize not only is this a body that's been here for 20 plus years, they recognize that this is the body of a person who they've met on the planet. This is the captain who is now being recreated as a hologram on the planet. The lead up to them opening up that shuttle pod is one of the most undeveloped and most interesting scenes in the episode because there is a <laughs> mini debate before they open up the pod. And I wish that the, I wish. What if the episode had simply been 
the Enterprise finds escape pods in orbit around a planet and the Enterprise crew debates about what to do with them. Yeah. That's a more interesting episode because in this, Mayweather has said, we are effectively walking through a graveyard. We should not be doing this. Flock says... Says the same thing. I think you are effectively opening a crypt and you shouldn't be doing this. What right do we have to dip our toe into this reality, into this, into these waters? Yep. And the captain is like, nope, I'm too curious. That is effectively yeah. his answer to yep. Mayweather and to Phlox. They have two answers. No, we're too interested in taking stuff. Yeah. And two, I'm too curious about what really happened. So my curiosity has been peaked, so we're opening this thing up. They open it up, they find the mummy. It's one of the final clues of like, okay, what they are being told by the people on the planet cannot possibly be true. Meanwhile, Trip is hanging out with um, Liana, who is, as I mentioned, played by Annie Wershing. Spoiler for anybody who doesn't want to know too much about future Star Trek series, skip forward about 60 seconds. Hmm. Annie Wershing has been cast to play the Borg Queen in Picard. Oh, nice. So yeah. she is going to be back in that capacity, and it is a recurring character on Picard in 2022. So something to look forward to there. Can, Meanwhile. Can I, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up that happened with Trip specifically in the yeah. episode that um, I thought were actually kind of nice. There was the callback to Trip's pregnancy. Yes. With um, Paul kind of like needling him, making fun of him a little bit about like, hey, last time you got, I think you're spending too much time with Liana. I think you're becoming biased. Remember what happened last time? You yeah. ended up being pregnant with her baby. Yeah. And uh, then when Trip is talking to some of the other crew and they're starting to question some things about what Trip's doing, and he says, did Paul say something to you? It's like, yeah. I just like the whole, that whole aspect of Paul and the crew knowing that Tripp's got this reputation and they're continuing to needle him about past mistakes he's made. Yes. But Tripp made a comment again that made me raise an eyebrow. There was that episode where he said, hey, a third of our crew is female. Like, yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. He said it again in this episode. And it was like, okay, if you have this character say it once, it was like, that was a bad eye rolling. You've got to be joking. How is this the future we want to be living in? Yeah. And then it was like, they double down by repeating that same exact phrase from the same character. Why is Trip somehow becoming the spokesperson for women equality and it's only <laughs> one third of the crew? I don't understand why they did this again. I'd be willing to bet that it is a footnote in the show Bible. And that two writers separately picked up on it. Maybe. It wouldn't surprise me if somewhere there's a note about like quick hits about the Enterprise crew. And it's, yep. they're mostly human. There's only a couple of aliens. Third of the crew is women. But you know, like a bunch of factoids that the Trip writers to were told, it? like you can pull from these factoids so you're all consistent. And that two separate writers happen to pull from the same factoid, which is this it's also i thought you know the whole thing trip has this eye rolling sequence where he's talking to liana about his success with women and it's like this oh, yeah. is not a woman that you at what point do you meet a woman who's talking about your relationships to women that you then turn immediately into how successful you are with the ladies it's just 
it seems completely off base and it's played for comedy, but it doesn't really work for me. Uh, but on the flip side, I love the ice cream sequence. The, yes. the conversation yes. around she's eating vanilla. And of course for her, you know, we, we refer to vanilla as plain vanilla. Yeah. And she finds out that there's not only other flavors, but flavors like Rocky Road, which she can't even envision what that possibly means. So yeah. that I thought was a nice little turn where he throws out a name of a flavor. She would have been confused by chocolate. Like chocolate, what is that? Would have been a, a, the same conversation. But when she, he throws out a name that sounds like you know, Pebbly Beach, like yeah. why would you eat that? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> So there are moments where I think the writing rises above the larger yes. context of the material. And the ultimate, uh, the peak of the episode comes from a couple of the crew are taken prisoner as the crew is trying to force the Enterprise to leave. How you get them to leave by taking members of the crew, I don't know Why? And it turns into a firefight with a rescue operation. And as the Enterprise crew led by Archer and Reed running through hallways, firing phasers that go right through the hostage takers who appear to just appear and walk through walls at will until finally it is all revealed. You've been dealing with holograms this entire time. And Ezreal has his moment of speechifying around, here's why I did it. And never really gets to the deeper reason of why are you hiding? Yep. Just keep saying like we were alone. She needed companionship. I needed companionship. I recreated our family. I recreated the larger crew. We were able to stay alive. Why can't you just leave us alone? Nobody says like there's leaving us alone. And then there's why are you hiding? Yep. And his desire to be left alone is completely if you want to make it about PTSD, if you want to make it about him not being willing to leave artificial people that he now feels are truly real, that needs to be stated. It needs to be presented in some way and it doesn't feel like it is. So finally, at the end of all this, it's the question of like, now what do we do? And they get them off the planet. It's revealed in a final closing scene with Ezreal in the captain's quarters it's another instance of the least interesting relationship on the show mm -hmm. in the episode gets the closing scene. I don't know whether it was something about like, we need to make sure that the captain is involved in every closing moment. Yeah. Harkening back to, it feels like many, many of the episodes in next generation revolved around Picard having a closing moment in his ready room. Mm -hmm. But I remember plenty of episodes of Next Generation which involved other characters having closing moments. Yep. It almost feels like this, like there's this doubling down on like, well, he's the captain. He should have a final say in these things. So the final scene is Ezreal going to Archer and it's revealed like, okay, we've chosen to go with you. And Archer's saying, I'm glad. Instead of the far more interesting Trip-Liana relationship, which they spent the entire episode developing. Yep. We don't get that moment of of him saying, I'm glad we get to spend a few more days together as we take you back to your planet. And her, her going into space would have had a very nice closing scene if she revealed a certain amount of terror. 
she's going home to a planet she's never been to. And that is an interesting setup to a scene. And we don't get that scene. We don't get her saying like, I am so excited about the possibilities, but I am also terrified of what might be in front of me. There's, there's no good emotional closure for any of the characters we've been following for most of the episode. Yeah. So I go back to my earlier question. Was there enough danger? Was, and it's not that necessarily even has to be danger, just stakes. Like something needs to be at stake. And it didn't feel like there was other than I've been hiding for 22 years and I really got used to hiding. I kind of like it now. (laughs) That's not, no. (laughs) I had my own mini deeper dive that I wanted to share, which was to throw out for anybody who's not aware of it. There is a classic sci-fi movie from the 50s, which effectively is the same storyline. It's a sci-fi version of The Tempest. It's called Forbidden Planet. It's from 1956. It stars Walter Pidgeon, Anne Francis, and Leslie Nielsen. Yes, that Leslie Nielsen. Naked gun. He does not do any of the naked gun jokes. This is not a Frank Drubbend uh, prequel. (laughs) The movie also stars Robbie the Robot, who is a classic sci-fi robot from the 50s and 60s. And it is the story of a ship from earth which i always enjoyed when i was a kid watching this movie i always enjoyed the fact that the ship from earth and the way the crew is decked out and the way their command structure works this was made in 1956 it feels very star trek it's super star trek it feels very much like this could be a reality that leads the next step being enterprise or something like that it's it's got that feel to it it feels like a pre-original series Star Trek. And this Earthship comes to a planet where there has been a scientific colony that has been set up and has they've lost contact with it going back years. The Earthship finally shows up to see what happened. And when they get there, they find that the only two people who are left alive in this colony are the main scientist and his daughter. And when the Earthship says, well, our orders are to take you home. We're here to rescue you. The scientist refuses to leave, and then things start to go wrong for the ship. They start being attacked by something on the planet that should not be there. And it is a great representation of what the Tempest is about. It's, you know, science is replacing sorcery. And the monster that is coming out to attack them is revealed to be a part of the scientist's motivation to begin with. So it does exactly all the things that we've complained about this episode not doing. Forbidden Planet does beautifully. It is a movie that I highly recommend. It is a classic for a reason. And it is available on various streaming services for rent. Unfortunately, it's not available for free anywhere, unlike Panic Room. But do check it out. If you haven't seen it, I think you'd enjoy it. Watch that instead of this. There's one of the things that I really liked about Forbidden Planet 2, and I'll just throw this out again in comparison to the original series Star Trek. Uh, the relationship between the captain and the doctor mm-hmm. is very much like the relationship between Kirk and McCoy. Yep, Kirk and Bones. Yeah. It's, it's got that dynamic. Yep. So my closing question to everybody, am I demanding too much danger? <laughs> I seem to be saying that in almost every episode we've talked about recently, 
where's the danger? What are the stakes? What's happening? Who's threatened? What, why, why aren't we seeing more people in danger? Am I asking for too much danger? Yeah. (laughs) So let me know. Am I asking for too much danger? (laughs) Next time we're going to be talking about the episode detained. Matt, do you have any speculations as to what we might be dealing with in that episode? Probably somebody that's been detained. Mm. Held against their will, if you will. Yes. And before we go, is there anything you'd like to remind our listeners about? What have you got going on on your other channel? Uh, just be sure to check out uh, on my undecided videos. I have an episode that should be out by the time this one airs uh, about uh, radiative cooling. And it's it's about getting basically air conditioning from the power of space. It's yeah. really trippy. It's really that cool. That sounds very it. easy to do. I'm already bored. <laughs> As for me, you can check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You'll see some info about my books there. You can also look for my books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any non-mega bookstore you might choose. Your local bookseller should also have access to the things that I've written. Please check them out. A quick reminder, you can visit trekintime.show to directly support the podcast, or you can just keep doing what you're doing right now. Listen and watch on YouTube. If anybody has any comments or corrections, please do reach out. We really do appreciate it when people catch a detail that we haven't seen or realize that we've fired a photon from the phaser banks. You can find the contact information in the podcast notes or on YouTube. You can just scroll down below this image of our smiling faces and leave a comment there. Please remember to subscribe, to like the episode, and to share it widely with friends and strangers, and to come back next time. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you later.